Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. It's always the thrill to have my buddy Charlie Pierce on. We've uh, had a long running, at least for a couple of years, series called Checkpoint Charlie, where we check in with political writer, sports nut, Twitter god, Charlie from the state of Massachusetts. We talk about everything, but we got a lot of politics to talk about. I call Mr. Pierce my psychological morphine drip for all things political. Charlie, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Paul. I like, I, now we're, we can see each other, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I like, uh, I'd love to see those books you've got. Oh, who's Yeah, the, uh, I got some of them. I got, I, I don't, I, get, I need bookshelves very badly. I got a stack of boxes here that uh, who's the I got to unload. Who's the guitar player above your left shoulder? I can't quite make him out. Above my left shoulder over here? Yeah. It's Lee Atwater and B.B. King from the Republican <laughs> National Convention in 1988. Um, I wrote a letter to the editor of the City Pages after he had a pretty phenomenal lineup for that gig, and I just asked, was there any uh, black people invited to the show? Because most of the performers were. He had great taste in music, uh, lousy taste in politics. Really rotten taste in being a human being, too, he, he until did. the end. What? Uh, but, you well, know, he's, his, gra his grave in South Carolina is about 30 yards from the grave of the fabulous Moolah, the famous woman wrestler. Really? There are neighbors in the cemetery, yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, and he's just got a got a marker in the ground the fabulous moolah's got this temple right and her tag team partner is buried with her and her daughter's buried with her oh yeah it's quite the thing kind of like he he got kind of these uh uh same appreciation that ivana trump got when she got married at the golf or when she got buried at the golf course yes with all the documents probably <laughs> I'm not you know you've had uh uh, all of the listeners out there in the Wall of Power radio online, you've got to uh, subscribe to Esquire.com. Charlie Pierce writes several times a week. He's also uh, uh, posts on Twitter. I, I love all of it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this past week. Now, we've got the GOP. Uh, they're planning on banning abortion, banning contraception, banning books, eliminating Social Security, Medicare, defunding the FBI, targeting people who are investigating January 6th, raising drug prices, and now they're doing human trafficking as political stunts. They don't, is that the contract with America that they're that, proposing? That is, no, they're actually, they're calling it commitment to America now. <laughs> I, and I think a lot of them should be committed, but that's a whole different discussion. Now, we had, uh, we were right here at the business end of... Uh, some of that stuff down there on the Cape. Yeah, on, right. Exactly. On the island. Um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, revolting really. Uh, uh, you know, and, and the great thing was that, that, you know, this was supposed to be a real clever dick move on, on the part of Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and the people on the, the people on the island just killed it with kindness. Well, I loved somebody said on Twitter, uh, great move sending a bunch of, migrants to uh, uh, to a, a little island that has probably more lawyers than uh, any one place in America. And But I do see there that there was the uh, sheriff down, was it San Antonio, that uh, is starting? Yeah. Uh, yeah, good on him. And then I see uh, uh, there's a congressman. Vera Salazar. Yeah. Javier Salazar. 
And then uh, uh, I see today I read that there was a congressman, a dem, of course, uh, from Florida that wants to, uh, that's suing DeSantis for misuse of uh, state money. Where yeah, and our, and our senator up here, Ed Markey, is uh, ask, is calling for an investigation, too. Mark, so not a, only did this back, not only did this backfire politically, it may have backfired legally, too. Well, I can't think it's going to play with a lot of the Cuban refugees uh, in South Florida. Well, I mean, you, you, you are pretty much shuffling away people who are fl- are fleeing a authoritarian socialist regime. Right. I mean, the people from Venezuela, you know, are, are, are political refugees in every real sense of the word. And, you know, I don't I mean, I I gave up trying to figure out what moves the Cuban population in Florida long ago. What because did, where the hell did DeSantis come from? He was a congressman. He was a Tea Party congressman. OK. And and a galoot, really. Uh, you know, he, he was a man of, you know, you know, got the same kind of respect in the house that louis gomert did <laughs> uh you know basically he was he was on that end of the spectrum and then he went back to florida and ran for governor and got elected and now you know he's you know being broached as the you know the anti-trump trumpist i uh, was down God there. Help us. i was visiting he's not an anti-trump he's, he's he's trump without tears basically yeah funny uh i went down to florida a couple of years ago to, to uh visit my best friend i try to get down there when i when i have the money and we went uh uh he lives in newport richie with his wife but we went uh, to a couple of restaurants and a couple of bars and uh, it was scary how many trump stickers were on suvs down there oh yeah uh yeah florida is a uh florida is a florida is a need i say need i point out is an interesting place uh i remember every year for one, four years, five years, uh, I'd have to go down and cover the Red Sox in spring training when I worked for the Boston Herald. And they trained in Winter Haven, which is exactly in the middle of the state. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and a half to the ocean in either direction. And it's basically Baja, Alabama. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's the designer mudflap capital of the world. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the one, year, one year I went down there and the nightlife had doubled because the... Uh, the multiplex had gone from three to six screens. <laughs> this is why. But seriously, this is why. And I, love- I just hated it. I just hated it there. Oh God! It was, it was everything that would make you a snob, a northern snob about the South, wrapped up in one town. I uh, I remember one uh, moment in particular. We were. Uh, Waiting outside, uh, we were waiting for a table, and this guy had oh probably a forty or fifty thousand dollar brand new SUV. The guy was maybe between twenty five and thirty years old. He comes out with his um, with his girlfriend. They get in the car that was parked. He's a uh, uh, healthy young twenty five or thirty year old, and of course had been parking in the handicapped zone uh, for the duration of their dinner. And I said that that. Says as much as I need to know here. Yeah, I, I uh, there aren't many people. There aren't many people in the world who I automatically dislike. The people who do that are definitely up there, especially uh, the ones that leave their cars. It's one thing to pull into a space so you can move the car. Somebody comes along with the handicap sticker that needs it, but it's another thing to like park there and go in and eat. 
Uh, and the second thing that drives me crazy is the people that don't put their shopping carts back in the place and just leave them willy-nilly in the parking lot. But that's a that's a minor quibble. Let's yeah, uh, that's a, that's a, yeah, but that's fun though. I like to play bumper cars with them when I put when I put them back in that little rack. <laughs> Give it a give it a shove from about ten feet away. Who didn't love bumper cars? Were you a go kart uh, kid? I some yeah. I there wasn't a, there wasn't a track close to where I lived. I I we I had to drive about. There was a place called Walter Walter. What the, I can't remember his last name now. Walter somebody's Funland that was in Millbury, which was like three towns over from where I lived, and they had a pitch and putt range and a tank tag and a go-kart track and you know everything driving range and uh so we would go there that was that was one of my go-to dates in high school but uh that was the only go-kart track that was anywhere near where i lived well it's something they should bring back i'm i'm all for that there was a fella speaking of those kinds of places a guy named reggie callahan walter wheeler i remembered walter <laughs> wheeler's golf land it was called <laughs> God bless Walter Wheeler. Well, there's a fella in the Twin Cities. His name was Reggie Callahan. He gave me my very first gig uh, when I moved to town in 78. I was running cassettes around, little promo. And he owned a strip joint uh, downtown called the Skyway Lounge. I went in to meet him. He had this picture of a young guy that looked kind of like him with the Beatles behind. Well, it turns out Reggie had a place getting on... Uh, uh, Walter Wheeler's uh, fun land called Reggie's Dance Land in Excelsior, Minnesota, and he, he's now where in Excelsior, Minnesota. But he was a he was a rock promoter as well. I hope on his tombstone it's said, and may he rest in peace. He gave uh, debuts to three uh, pretty consequential acts. He booked the Rolling Stones in 1963. He booked the Beatles at Met Stadium in 1965. I ran into a uh, waitress of his years later said, yeah, Reggie was the only guy that lost money on the Beatles and, yeah. ha and happened to give Paul Metza his first gig in 1978. So uh, God bless Reggie Callahan and his dance land out there uh, in Excelsior. In fact, that's where they say when the Stones were in town, when they talked to Mr. Jimmy uh, getting the soda pop at the drugstore, that they, they ran into... Uh, uh, Mr. Jim, and you can't always get what you want during that tour. <laughs> but I digress. Oh. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Herschel Walker. We knew him a little yeah, bit because he played uh, for the Vikings. What's yeah, the he was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I find him a tragic figure. And the best theory I've heard so far is that he will get elected and then he'll resign. He'll get sworn in. And then he'll resign, and Kemp will appoint a guy who has all his marbles to replace him. Wow, that's. An I mean, that would be that to me would be the kindest thing they could do for him. They certainly don't want him representing them in the Senate. I don't imagine. Yeah, I mean, the guy's a walking commercial for CTE. Well, and uh, although it's scary how close that race is, it's much too close. I know, uh, and uh, you know, it's it, it's. It's it's absurd to me how close it is because you know you're talking about, you're talking about a guy who isn't all there. Yeah, I mean he just isn't. I I I feel bad for him. He, and he you know he's he's a guy that we already know has threatened his wife with a gun, has strangled her, uh, has you know every week there's a new kid. 
right. you know, somewhere in Georgia. And yet all these evangelicals will line up behind him and vote for him. Yeah, it, 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 it blows it blows one's mind. Well, you know, it's, let's talk uh, Minnesota Vikings. How about all this latest um, welfare fraud with with Brett Favre? Oh man! Well, that's a that is a gigantic fraud, by the way. He's yeah. a. He's, I mean, if it wasn't for Brett Favre, if, if he wasn't Brett Favre, you wouldn't even notice him. Right. He's a real sideshow, and it's a seventy-seven million dollar, you know, theft of of, you know, COVID or, uh, yeah, COVID relief money. You know, and his is a little bit the five, you know, five million dollar part of it for this volleyball thing, but it really it makes him. It makes him look like a really bad guy. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan uh, to begin with, but uh, I don't know. You're a big sports guy. I just have such a hard time with like just this Sean Watson and how uh, how they're treating him with kid gloves. Really, it's just the NFL. You know, I kind of go back to that Seinfeld. Uh, you know, because I grew up, uh, you know, with uh, the Minnesota Vikings. All those guys, you know, Alan Page, Carl Eller, Jim Marshall, Gary Larson, Fran Tarkin, they all lived in Minnesota. They all paid taxes in Minnesota. And now Alan Page became Alan Page became a Supreme Court just, justice. He's one of the, and a marathon runner. Yeah, one of the brightest men in Minnesota and his uh very close to his wife. His wife passed away a couple years ago. What Alan Page used to do for the Twin Cities Marathon, he would take out his tuba and play as people were running along through his neighborhood. And not long, not just weeks after his wife passed away, uh, he did that again uh, just because that's the kind of guy he is. I have him on my hit list uh, to get him on the wall and power radio hour. Yeah, no, I, I met his wife at a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they bring all the Hall of Famers back for the Super Bowl every year, and they have a, you know, they have a, reception and stuff and i talked they he and his wife had set up uh african-american history museum yes uh i don't know he was, he was a collector of like civil rights era memorabilia i guess well he has there's a thing i i bumped into on uh an interview i think it's on youtube he also in his house has a real collection of just some ghastly stuff uh that he talks about a lot of uh, uh handcuffs and neck chains from uh, uh, from the slavery period, right? Yeah, and, and uh, which is pretty severe stuff. But if anybody can tell that story, it's uh, it's Justice Page. You know, I used to uh, drink at a bar in downtown Minneapolis called Eli's Pub, and I and and the other fellow that I loved to see there almost weekly was Jim Marshall. And Jim, oh, really? Yeah, Jim. He picked up a couple of stools. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because he's still brick, uh, built like a brick uh, S house. And I remember when I was a kid, like I, I, I have the Fran Tarkington rookie card signed because they used to, uh, they used to do uh, their training at uh, in Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, where my uh, grandparents lived, and so before they moved to Mankato. And I remember an interview when they moved to Mankato, one of the sports writers in town, could it even have been Jim Klobuchar, who did, who was Amy's uh, uh, father, who did, yeah. you know, he did uh, all kinds of stuff, but he'd slip in the sports world occasionally. And one of the, and so Marshall was, he loved to dog it. 
during during training camp. It just it, it, it just didn't do any work. And I'll never forget one of the uh, reporters asked him, Jim, uh, what's you know you're completely dogging it uh, here in in training in training camp. And he goes, he goes, hey man, he goes, there's only so much tread on the tire. <laughs> sure, and of course, it, of course, he's famous not just for being a great player, but for running the wrong way. Yes, wrong way, Marshall. Which he will never lose out. Yes, although I do believe he might have the record for most consecutive NFL games. He, yeah, he. That was that was what was notable about it. Yeah, he never missed a snap. I don't know whether he still has that now. But because uh, he would have said it a long time ago. I always used to ask him, Charlie. I always go, Jim, how's the tread? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk. Uh, uh, I have to. Oh, good. Those were good. Those were those were good days when when you know when they get when you know they'd hang around the city. The athletes would hang around the city. I remember, uh, you know, being a you know one of my really good friends. Well, not one of my really good friends, but one of the friends I made along the way sports writing was Bill Lee. Really, and when I worked at the Boston Phoenix, we used to go across the street to a place called the Elliott Lounge every day uh, after work. Uh, it was an old residential hotel bar, and Lee used to come in there. Like well, he came in there a couple of times, right from the bullpen, <clears throat> wearing his uniform and his uh, shower shoes. Wow! And then after the nineteen seventy eight playoff game, which they lost to the Yankees on Bucky freaking Dent. Uh, they interviewed Bill and they said, what'd you think of Don Gullett? who was the Yankee pitcher that day. And Gull and Bill said, well, Don Gullett's going to the hall of fame and I'm going to the Elliott lounge. <laughs> and I have a t-shirt somewhere around here. I have a t-shirt from the night the Elliott closed and it has that quote on the back. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful. I also have right here, handy, my official, Israel Baseball League bat given really? to me by Bill given to me by Bill Lee. Well, that's pretty cool. Did some work with the Israel Baseball League. That yep. is, that is damn cool, Charlie. What um, there, there's so much stuff uh, going on. What do you think of Beto O'Rourke's chances against Greg Ab Greg Abbott are in Texas? They're not looking good right now. Yeah. Uh, every poll I've seen is it shows them slipping. Same with Stacey Abrams, by the way, in Georgia. Yeah, what but about... I still think I, I still think that's I think that's recoverable. Uh, but uh, you know, Abbott's you know Abbott's staking a lot of his campaign down there on immigration. Yeah, and you know, so far it's working. What about uh, Val Demings and Rubio? I think that I I get a real stench of. Flop sweat from the Rubio campaign right mm -hmm. now. Uh, I don't think he wants it anymore. I think he's he realizes he's gone too far off the diving board with Trump, and he'll never get his you know he'll never get his mojo back. You know he was he was the the savior of the party back in 2012. Right. I mean I remember I remember writing a column when he gave the <coughs> excuse me. He gave the Republican keynote at the convention, <coughs> and Joaquin Castro gave the uh, keynote at the Democrat convention. I remember writing a blog thing saying, if the future of American politics is Marco Rubio and, and Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin uh, Castro, Castro, 
you know, arguing about tax policy. I'm good with that. Yeah. I was very impressed with both guys. And then Rubio was just, you know, commenced to make himself see the incredible shrinking man at this point. <laughs> he just gets smaller and smaller and less significant and less important and less important almost by the day. And I, I don't know that he's got the, I don't know if he's got the, uh, the, I don't know if he's got the Ghana to run anymore. Right. And she's a very formidable campaigner. Well, and she, uh, ex-cop, right? Ex, ex, uh, sheriff. Yeah. Ex sheriff. And rides a, rides a Harley. <laughs> he does. <laughs> it's my kind of gal, my kind of politician. What, um, so, I mean, really it's been a great week, uh, for the rule of, of law here in the country. Yeah, it's been a great week for judges. Judges, yeah. have, judges, judges have really brought the A game this week. Let's start, uh, let's start with Judge Connor and go from there. Judge Connor. Yeah, the, the the one that gave uh, uh, the one that said the FBI and Department of Justice can't. Uh, oh, the appeals judge. Yeah, yeah, that was a you know th th that's a, if you read these these orders and rulings that are you know that that are going against <laughs> excuse me our for uh, our former president. These are I mean I've read a lot of documents from courthouses in my time these aren't these are like bricks through the window yeah i mean it's, they're not polite at all uh i mean they're not i mean they're not you know they're not dotted with curse words but right i mean they're they're you know they they are very very forceful uh uh statements of 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 what i think are, are very principled uh uh you know, devotion to the rule of law. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, the, 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 you know, they, they, they reckon without this judge Deary down at, you know, special master, uh, you know, they, they, he's the guy that Trump people wanted and they, you know, they plainly didn't bet him at all. Right. I mean, because he's a real judge, number one, unlike judge cannon there who, who gave the, you know, gave Trump everything he wanted. He's a real judge. He used to be on the FISA court. I mean, he's a serious man of the law, well, and what he did, what he did yesterday, you know, you know, in 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 ruling, you know, against uh, the former president, he left. I mean, he didn't he didn't leave any bodies on the battlefield. I yeah. mean, everybody was he just incinerated the other side. You know what a beautiful. And I think you know judges judges don't like people coming into their courtrooms and and making them look like a fool. Mm -hmm. And I get the feeling that several judges have decided that, you know, wherever he's finding these lawyers, and I think he's probably hiring off, you know, billboards off I-5 in Florida. <laughs> you know, he's hiring the, uh, you know, the, were you in an accident, people? Exact personal you know, injury midnight, guys. Midnight, you know, public access uh, <laughs> personal injury firms. Saul Goodman. Uh, Saul Goodman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or, uh I can't remember the name of the guy in Massachusetts. It's the, you know, the really the legal equivalent of the guys who, you know, sell tickets to the drag races. Monday, 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 Monday. You know, I but, did, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I, no, you go. I saw, uh, there was a great uh, show at the West Theater. It's a beautiful, reconstituted 1940s movie theater here in Duluth, only about a mile from where I live now. And Liz Winstead uh, was doing a, her one-person show. Are you familiar with Liz at all? 
Oh yeah, she's the hardest working woman in showbiz. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, she I, she gigs all the time. Yeah, and uh, and it's really amazing. I mean, she got uh, Trevor Noah his start, Stephen Colbert uh, his start. She was the founder of the Daily Show, and she's and and she heads one of the top. Uh, I think it's the it's a, a was it a it's a top abortion rights group based in New York City. Right. And yeah, that's not, her full time. That's her full time gig besides you know, comedy. Yeah, and to show you what kind of cojones Liz has, she went at, on Wednesday, her show was Wednesday or Thursday night, the next day she went to, uh, I think it's called We Help, uh, one of the uh, clinics, abortion providers in Duluth, to show, uh -huh. to, show to train uh, the volunteers how you deal with all the BS that you have to deal with when clients are coming into the clinic. I mean, she, right. wa she yeah, walks the walk, she talks the talk, but she, yeah. had, she had a great uh, line. Uh, she skewered everybody, but she had a great line, and I'm gonna let you take it out from here. She, she, uh, she referred to Lauren uh, Bobert as the dollar store Sarah Palin. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Because you know, because Sarah Palin's not you know off the shelf at Tiffany's herself. <laughs> <laughs> no, what uh, that was. That... I mean, I guess I guess I guess I guess she'd be the. Uh, God, I don't even know. I can't come up with one. Uh, you know the what? What's one rung above the dollar store? <laughs> uh, whatever that one is, that's what she. Salvation be. Army. I don't. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, she would, you know what was interesting about that race? There was a guy named Nick Begich up there, um, who's a Republican. Yeah, he's a he's a legacy guy too, right? Yeah, he's, he's a, a big he, political family. Yeah, from Eveleth, Minnesota. Really? Yeah, Joe Begich uh, was a uh, uh, state rep for years. Was involved in all kinds of uh, politics. He just passed away in the mid '80s a few years ago. Great guy. And uh, yeah, so he, I don't know exactly what his relationship, but good Evleth guy. And uh, like we were talking about to Judge Jerry, imagine this, a principled conservative. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there were a lot of them going around. We have them, we had them here. We, I mean, we had, you know, old waspy Republicans in Massachusetts. Charlie Baker's one. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think he's, he's, you know, lost interest in his job about two years ago, but, mm -hmm. you know, he stepped up on this, and, you know, he's, he's just a decent skin. How, uh, do, you, how do you think the uh, DNC, I mean, really, they've got post uh, Roe v. Wade, um, they've got so much wind at their backs, how do you think they're handling it? I always get worried about the Democrats not putting their best foot forward. What's your... Well, I, I, I think I, I have a lot. I have a lot of respect for Jamie Harrison, who I've gotten to know. Okay. Uh, and I think he's doing. I think he's doing the best he can. I think that that the whole that the Dobbs decision caught everybody off guard. Yeah. Uh, the Republic. I mean, I don't know why the Republicans weren't ready for it because they've been pushing for it for fifty years. Right. But uh, the Democrats also seem, you know, all of a sudden here's this thing that just fell right in their laps, and they it took them a couple of weeks to get their footing. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, because you know, a lot of them attach themselves to the Clinton thing about safe, legal, and rare. Yeah, which I always thought was kind of a surrender. Yeah, 
you know, women have a right to privacy based on the 14th Amendment, and that also includes a right to do what they will with their bodies. And don't give me safe, legal, and rare. It's like saying, you know, my, you know, my First Amendment right, you know, I should be able to use profanity safely, legally, and rarely, you know, or, you know, I should be able to, to, to march for uh, one cause or another, but I have to do it like every now and then, right? Instead of all the time. Well, you, know, you shouldn't. Have, you, there shouldn't be a restriction on on when you can exercise your constitutional rights. But a lot of Democrats marry themselves to that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here's the gift from God. Right. You know, it, it's it's completely energized uh, voter registration among women in the suburbs. It, uh, well, you know what? The, the one thing I mean, I think you and I would both agree, as as most uh, progressive like ourselves, that the GOP has been the party of uh, you know uh, uh, hypocrites. You've been falling since uh, you, you know you nailed them. You it started this. Uh, you, you know, stuff I've read from you from the Reagan era, correct? Or it- yeah, I mean, the, you know, the first presidential campaign I covered, uh, which was the Boston Phoenix, was the uh, Republican side in 1980, which was, the you know, the Reagan election. So I got a good look at the, uh, you know, the, I got a look at the foundation stones of what we're seeing now. The building blocks. Uh, and you can draw a straight line. You don't, it's not hard to draw a straight line from the Reagan campaign in 1980 uh, through the Bush campaign against Dukakis, through Newt Gingrich, uh, through the impeachment of Bill Clinton, through what, you know, the Bush people did in the aftermath of 9-11, to what was done to Obama, to where we are now. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean it's, it's, it's not Route 66, but it's close. Yeah, I mean, well, you know what? You, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need a, you know, a, a AAA triptych roadmap right. to get from one spot to the other as, I think Rick Perlstein proves in his book. I read uh, long ago when I was actually when I was covering the, the Reagan campaign. Uh, I read a book by you know Sid Blumenthal. Yeah, yeah, he wrote a book a long time ago. He was I a New York somewhere. Times guy, wasn't he? Well, yeah, for a while, but he also he was a Clinton aide. Okay, uh, and uh, he worked at the other uh, alternative paper in Boston. There were two. I worked at the Phoenix, and Sid. I think was there before me, but he was at the real paper, okay. which was the one that was based in Cambridge. Anyway, uh, he wrote a book called The Rise of the Counter-Establishment in 1979, which showed how the Republicans, how the conservatives had gotten so far ahead in things like direct mail right. and stuff like that. And he also traced how their success uh, in those fields made them more conservative right? and made hardcore conservatism more palatable. Mm-hmm. And if you can find it anywhere, I mean, I'm sure you can, you know, find it on, you know, Amazon for three bucks or something now, but it, it's very prescient on what we've been through. Well, you know, it, it, this, and I think it's his best book, but this, I couldn't even believe he's in the middle of writing a multi-volume book on Lincoln, a multi-volume biography of Lincoln now, though. Why we need another biography of Lincoln is beyond <laughs> me, but okay. Well, whatever whatever floats his boat. But what really what blows my mind, I couldn't even believe it was brought up. And uh, no less an authority than uh, Judge Clarence Thomas mentioned it. And now it's, it's in the echo chamber of the GOP. They want to outlaw abortion, but they also want to outlaw contraception. 
Yeah, because because the target has always been the right to privacy. Right. Conservative Republicans don't believe in it. They, they will tell you it's not in the Constitution. It was made up uh, in the Griswold case, which was about contraception, uh, that it doesn't exist. As a, it's an un, it's, they don't believe in unenumerated powers. They don't believe in, in what they call substantive due process. And I think they're going after it by degrees. You know, they've got their big win on abortion. Now they're going to go. I don't know that. I don't know that if they, you know, succeed in doing to contraception what they've done to abortion. I don't know how the Republicans ever get another woman in America to vote for them right. ever again. But you know, I think that's where they're headed. It's certainly where Thomas is headed. Yeah. And right now, and right now, he's driving the train. John Roberts has no control over that court. Hmm. In fact, I just wrote about this. I think what a week ago, uh, in the newsletter that I do, none of the none of the institutional leaders in the Republican Party have any control over the institutions they lead. Mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell does not control the Senate. Right. Kevin McCarthy does. You know, he he might as well be an he might as well be an elevator operator in the House. <laughs> He's just sitting there begging to make him, begging the crazy people to make him speaker again. Uh, and John Roberts doesn't control the court. I mean, the hard, the, the Alito, Thomas, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Block controls the controls the Supreme Court now. They're not listening to Roberts. Roberts tried to put, you know, somehow put together a moderate, a more moderate uh, decision on abortion, and they just ran right over it. Speaking of elevator operators, I was out in D.C. at a Future Music Coalition conference, and uh, I was uh, just kind of taking a tour of I don't know if it was the. Uh, it was the House of Representatives. Anyway, there was a barber shop down there. Everybody got their, all the uh, Pauls got their hair clipped there. But I took a elevator down and I found myself, just he and I, in the same elevator with Ralph Reed. And I thought, boy, here's my, here's my Talk chance. Talk about the undead. Here's, Talk about the undead. Where did he come from? Here's my chance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But those are the guys that are running around when Jack A Jack A Jack Abramoff fell. Yeah, exactly. Well didn't didn't have Jack had a little come to Jesus moment and he's probably back at it, huh? Well no, I, I mean he, yeah, he did the uh you know, I'm McCarthy for works for the police now. Right. Kind of thing, you know. I mean I, I here's our, all the bad stuff I did and I can keep and I can teach you how not to let bad people like me do it again. I mean, I find that incredibly insincere, considering he's probably got millions of dollars. Right. You know, that he, you know, scammed from people, salted away somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, what? Uh... So anyway, get, getting back to, like, the, the, the week in, in, in law, uh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, I do not want to be someone who gets in New York Attorney General Letitia James. Wow, profit. rock star. Rockstar. I mean, I do not want to get in that. That woman is not playing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. And I mean, she want, I mean, I think, and honest to God, I believe it. I think if you gave him a choice between running for president again and winning, but giving in to Letitia James and never being part of the New York City real estate scene again, yeah, I think you wouldn't make that choice. Yeah. I think I think the real estate stuff. I think that's his whole identity. Right. I mean that. I mean, and, and it's been his whole identity for a lot longer than he's been a politician. Right. You know that uh, I'm sure you watched uh, 
Malta Gape, the interview that uh, Trump did with Sean Hannity. And for me, the tell was when he was talking about sending uh, the classified documents. And he said, if you watch it closely, he said, you know, if I send it to Mar-a-Lago or what, what, and then he was going to, he was going to say to wherever, but he stumbled over it, knowing that he was, the, the tell was that he actually had sent these to other places as well. What are your exactly. thoughts Exactly, yeah, that? I, did, I, I didn't notice that at the time, but people have, people have pointed it out. Uh, I, I, you know, did, was he going to say Bedminster? Was he going right. to say, you know, Turnberry? Maybe they're in Scotland. Who knows? Right. Uh, maybe they're maybe they're buried with Ivana. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but we do know Hillary's emails were, were probably not there. And no, then they, they were not there, and the FBI <laughs> and the FBI didn't plant anything. <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's go across the pond here. Um, What's going on in Iran? Is that? I mean, did did you got some? You got some. What you, what's going on in Iran? Is got you. You got some very brave women. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it it just it's it's amazing to me. And I don't know. You know, I don't. I, my feeling is that it won't end well. Yeah. But I mean, I'm nowhere near. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, foreign affairs expert to know. Yeah. Um, what's about Iran? But uh, these, I mean, this is that this killing of this woman in custody. You know, this is looking. This is starting to look like the Steve Biko of Iran. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is this woman is now a rallying point. Uh, and I would also say, uh, I think, I think old Vlad Putin, Vlad Putin is, is, has overreached too. Yeah. There are there are Russian men fleeing to the borders, yeah. rather than being drafted. Yeah, well, they're going into colleges, and they're I mean, having huge demonstrations now. Yeah, uh, uh, the Ukraine uh, the Ukraine adventure has turned out to be a disaster. Uh, I don't know how long he can hang on. Well, I just see another one of his uh, top uh, specialists in aviation fell down some stairs and yeah, died. was unable to fly. You had a great line. Reminds me, reminds me of uh, Jim Carroll's lyric, you know, Tony, Tony, can you fly? But Tony couldn't fly. Tony died. <laughs> so you had a great, uh, you had a great line, a little dark, as occasionally the Charles uh, Pierceisms are uh, talking about, couldn't they just do it with the poison-tipped umbrella? Yeah, I mean, that was imaginative. That was like, you know, man from uncle stuff. I was very impressed by that. Well, and let's not throwing for, guys out windows. I mean, that's just crude. Let's not forget Robert Vaughn uh, came of age in Minneapolis. Yay! Yeah, sure did. I went to Washburn High School. Uh, Man, you are you 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 rep the land of ten thousand lakes. I got to tell you, that's <laughs> really good. Well, uh, yeah, and his Vaughn Peter wasn't his brother Peter Vaughn from Mission Impossible. I believe, Peter Vaughn. Yeah, Mission Impossible, the blonde-haired guy. No, it's Peter Graves. Peter Graves, yeah. He was James Arness's brother. Right. Okay. Um, the Gunsmoke guy. Then I take then I take it all back. Uh, but speaking of uh, speaking of Gunsmoke, um, I'm taking a wild left turn here. I went up and I did a. Uh, I guess I'm talking about uh, celebrities, people that went on from 
small towns and made a name for themselves. I did a great interview yesterday with my English teacher, a guy named Tom Moore. Tom was a student of the great B.J. Rolfson, who was Bob Dylan's 11th grade and 12th grade English and Humanities teacher. And there's a fellow named Keith Miles that's writing a book called, he wrote a book called Dylan in the UK, Troubadour Tales, Dylan and the Big Apple. Now he's finishing a book called Dylan in Minnesota. And he got a hold of me. Did, to Bob, the, did Bob graduate from high school? Yeah, he had me high school class okay. 59. But uh, okay. BJ was a legendary teacher. And uh, at at uh, so the and my English teacher, it turns out, studied under B.J. Rawlson. Uh, when Bob's dad died, um, uh, Bob came back from New York to the uh, funeral in Hibbing, and they were around the Zimmerman household, twenty four twenty five Seventh Avenue. And uh, Bob went up to B.J. and said, "You are my greatest influence." And so I'm going to write the art uh, a chapter on this book. Talking about you, here's the straight line from B.J. Rawlson to 2016 Nobel Prize for Literature. But I was talking <laughs> to my uh, English teacher, so I feel like I get a little bit of B.J.'s magic through my English teacher, who also hired me to play bass for Tony Perpich and the Perpetones, a polka trio when I was in ninth grade. And Tony Perpich was the first cousin of legendary Minnesota Governor. Rudy Perpich. So Tom was an athlete, quarterback, basketball player. Then he coached at uh, the Roosevelt High School my, at in Virginia, my hometown, uh, in 1973 and 74. And so got to watch Kevin McHale play. And that's why I'm, this long story to get around to uh, Boston Celtics fan and my guest, uh, Charlie Pearson. I said, Tom, did you ever... Uh, think that McHale was going to be uh, good as, could you see it back then? And he said, no, he was really tall and gangly. He said, when the Blue Devils uh, played the hitting Blue Jackets, he said it was like the Lilliputians versing the land of the Giants. He goes, the shortest guy in the hitting team was six foot four. I think McHale was six seven, six eight, and the tallest guy was six eleven. but he posits that McHale really got his chops together when he played with Michael Thompson, uh, yes. with the Gophers at the U. Yeah, which was a which was a real bomb squad of a team. I don't know why they didn't go further than they did. I mean, there was I mean there was a lot of talent. On that. Yeah, but uh, and I guess uh, uh, Kevin still some, has a lake cabin a little north of uh, Chisholm Hibbing, golfs every day. He's also on my hit list for the Wall of Power radio. Oh, yeah, you got to get him. You got to get him on. You got you to gotta get him. I'll tell you my favorite Kevin McHale story. Kevin McHale has, like, one of the quickest minds of any athlete that I've ever met. Okay. Uh, and, you know, he had to because he was playing with Bird, who was an all-time trash player. Right. But McHale was – we were in uh, Houston in the 86 uh, finals. And it was Celtics practice. And in the paper that morning, Nils Lofgren was traveling with Celtics. He and McHale had somehow become friends. Right. And so we were in Houston, and Roomful of Blues was down there. Okay. And Lofgren sat in with them, and McHale and his wife went to this club to see them as anybody would. Uh, and McHale, I think they stayed for one set, and they went home. But the gossip columnist, at the Houston paper, a guy named Paul Harrison 
wore a big white Panama hat, so you could absolutely uh, not miss him. Anyway, he wrote, he obviously got this secondhand, and he wrote that McHale had been, quote unquote, partying the night away at, you know, whatever the club this was. Right. The night before, the night before a playoff game. And so he's covering, the Harrison's covering the whole event. So he comes to practice the day after the game, the day after Coleman, and McHale just goes up one side of the guy and down the other. Uh, you're, why didn't you check? You're, you know, blah, 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 blah. And at that moment, Bill Walton comes up <laughs> and decides to be the peacemaker. Sure. And he goes up to McHale and he says, Kevin, leave the guy alone. He's just doing his job. He made a mistake. Leave him alone. And McHale doesn't miss a beat. He turns around to Walton. He says, yeah, well, that's how all that stuff started about Patty Hearst hiding in your ass. Oh, that is a phenomenal story and a great... And, and Walton just kind of turtled away. I mean, it was, it was, it was one of the great mic drops of all time. <laughs> Patty Hearst living in your attic, Bill Walton. That's phenomenal. And He's also a great guy, by the way. He's oh, one of my favorite people. i got to meet him one of these days. But uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we call these shows Checkpoint Charlie with the great uh, Charlie Pierce. And thank you so much for your time. Everybody... Hey, I, see, I, see, I see Bob's in Finland or someplace now. Huh? Oh, yeah. He's, um, he's got a nice tour uh, set up in, uh, uh, throughout Europe and really interested to see if he's going to. You know, I saw him two nights in June uh, in, uh, at, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, which were phenomenal. And it would be interesting to see if he, if he was doing a lot of rough and rowdy ways. What, what I yeah. loved, he did uh, uh, one of the, uh, I don't think it was Moonlight in Vermont, but he did a Frank Sinatra tune, which was cool because the uh, uh, the Pantages Theater was right around the corner from Capitol Records. So it was, you know, where Frank used to record. So I thought, yeah. I love that kind of geographic uh, happens. Because Capitol Records is that round building, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that gets blown up in all the, the disaster movies. Exactly. It's like the Empire State Building in New York, in, in, in any disaster movie in New York. They the actually, Capitol Records always get blown away. You know what? They actually, somebody that's go wanted to tear it down, but it's such an iconic, historic oh, place. Oh, it, it, It's what means L.A. to so many people. For sure. Well, all right, my friend. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. We'll stay in touch. Everybody out there in the Wall of Power Radio Orlando, Subscribe to Esquire.com and you get a little taste of this uh, uh, this genius several times a week. Charlie, great chat with you and good seeing you in person via Zoom. Hey, this is great. This is great. I gotta I gotta get up to the to the manse there at some point. Do this live. Anytime, anytime. You're welcome. always welcome. And I'm I get my guest room together. I should have a new mattress and box ring for the bed in a couple weeks. Anytime. All right, my friend. Thanks, See Charlie. Ya. Have a good weekend. Bye bye. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by John Supersonic Saristo. Great news, my book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs is out. You can get it on Amazon in Kindle or paperback. We'd like to thank our guest, Charlie Pierce, and like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Someday the high and the mighty will fall.
no power brokers, the wall of power will fall.